You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Bass baritone Dale Travis is backstage at Lyric. One of the big things I enjoy doing as an artist is is obviously entertaining them, but I think mm-hmm. the, the entertainment comes through that communication mm. with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think once you do that, they're at ease and they're interested and, and they want to know what's, what's going to happen next. Thank you for downloading this edition of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Mark Travis, producer for this series and for the Buxbaum Family Lyric Opera of Chicago broadcasts. American bass baritone Dale Travis returns to Lyric for two roles this season. He is currently singing the role of the sacristan in Puccini's Tosca, and later in December we'll hear him as Baron Zeta in Lehar's The Merry Widow. During the course of our conversation, we'll hear him speak about both of these roles, as well as his long association with Lyric. To get things started, let's hear what he had to say when I asked him to discuss some of the signature roles of his voice type, the bass baritone. I went the route of a lot of the, the basso buffo repertoire, which, which actually lays quite high. And uh, if you look now, there are a lot of uh, baritones that are somewhat aging now that will sort of shift gears down into that repertoire because it does lay high. Uh, and when I say that, it, it, it sort of rests right around middle C on the piano. So for a regular bass, he's already reaching the uh, upper edges of his vocal range. But a bass baritone can handle it quite well, and there's enough uh, weight in the voice that also you can do a lot of the lower register that some of the uh, roles uh, require. But bass baritone can sort of straddle a lot of different ways. I mean, I my repertoire is... is wide-ranging. I mean, I, I just did my first Osmine, for instance, which you don't really think of a bass baritone doing, but if he has a good low register and has a good low D, or at least can sound a low D by the end of the night, which, which is where the, the note comes in a Mozart's opera, uh, he can sing it. And one of my other favorite things to do would be something like Falstaff, which just goes up to a high G, but but a bass baritone can straddle both of those fox uh, very easily uh, once once they've developed their their instrument. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a myriad of directions and ways you can go. Now you're known and celebrated for your dramatic work. Uh, it's a large voice, but also we've talked about the fact that you are recognized as as one of the great uh, buffo voices of our time. Was it mostly the voice that brought you into that repertoire, or did you find that you know in your student years you had a little bit of a of a comic uh, sensibility about you? I think. Being born in the 60s, a lot of our first exposure into um, entertainment was, was through TV. Mm-hmm. And 
for me, I always enjoyed watching the the the, the old sitcoms of of the sixties and stuff, and that just it just struck a chord with me as to to how great these character actors were on these shows. And I mean, if you're born in the sixties, you're you're just you're a child of TV. So there's a lot of influence there. I just happened to to enjoy performing and uh, having fun, and I think that. Basso Buffo repertoire uh, lended itself to that. When I first started working with classical teachers, that that wasn't really the the way I wanted to go right off the bat at all. It was just basically getting my foot uh, in into the you know developing as a young artist. But I, I got to graduate school and started working with uh, Ito Tayo, who was uh, a very recognized uh, maestro of this repertoire, and I I just for me, it just took off. Uh, and I I think what probably influenced my getting into that repertoire more than anything else was I like to do characters that are sort of the catalyst uh, for the, the conflict in a scene. He doesn't have to be in every scene, but if he... When he hits the stage, if if in that moment he is the center of attention as far as the drama is concerned, that just that thrills me. So when people say, uh, "Don't you want to sing, uh, for instance, um, Colline?" you know, in Bohème, and I would say, "Well, yeah, that'd be fine. I'd love to sing the fourth act aria, but you know, I get more." jazzed up doing Benoit and Alcindoro for some reason because they just have their their wonderful moment and and if it's done well and the timing is right boy that's it's a memorable thing it's a lot like um good character actors in movies they just elevate the movie to a whole nother level and and I think for me that's really what I enjoy doing so that that basso buffo repertoire in some respects is is very much related to the great character actors in film. And once I left Cincinnati working with Maestro Tayo, uh, I went immediately to the San Francisco Opera and got into their young artist program and worked with uh, Paolo Montarsolo. Hmm. who's another great, great basso buffo of the 20th century and uh, worked extensively with him for two summers and then uh, went into the apprentice program in the house and I covered Renato Capecchi, quite a bit when he was singing there and we would uh work together and 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 talk about things uh when when I was covering him so in my working and and growing as the artist those were the big 3 mm-hmm. uh that really influenced uh my whole philosophy about performing yeah you mentioned uh, being a young artist in San Francisco. Of course, that company has been very good to you over your career. But this one has, too. I think I read you've done somewhere on the order of 20 roles in Chicago. Yeah, 22, actually. The The Widow will be number 23. And uh, this is my 16th season here now, and I've only missed two years. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And I just... I really hope it continues. <laughs> mm. I've had the privilege to meet dozens of singers all over the country and overseas, and one thing remains constant. The minute they hear I'm from Chicago, they tell me how much they love singing at Lyric, even before I had any sort of association with the company. What, in your estimation, is the Lyric difference? Well, uh, for me... It- it's always been a feeling of wonderful family 
a wonderful camaraderie, uh, just a wonderful, relaxed setting and feeling uh, as an artist to work here. I, I never felt pressured. I always felt like they were behind me in everything I did. And uh, when I first arrived here, it was Artist Kranich, uh and she saw me in San Francisco do some things, and she asked me to come here and do some things. And you know, before I knew it, it was a, a a wonderful budding relationship, and it it you do sort of become part of the family uh, after a while, and you know everybody, and you're comfortable here, and and that's I think that's the biggest thing. That's the that's the key to lyric. Mm. Uh, you you can't ask for a better situation than that. Yeah. I mean. Uh, a lot of times, let's face it, if we're on the road somewhere that we're, we're not familiar with the city or the people or something, it's it's uh, it's a lot more difficult uh, to uh, maintain your your outlook on what you're doing. Uh, you enjoy singing, but at the same time, if you can be somewhere where you're comfortable and you're supported, it makes a big difference. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're human like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, uh, you bring uh, your character brings probably a very welcome note of of humor into an otherwise very, very intense opera. And uh, we're going to hear you on opening night uh, here at Lyric Opera of Chicago uh, as the sacristan in Tosca. Talk to us about this character. Who is he? And why do you think that Puccini felt the need to have a little comic relief? Well, uh, the sacristan obviously is is the... uh for a lack of a better term, the janitor uh, in in the church of uh, Saint Andrea della Valle in Rome, and it's during the period of the 1800s. Since we are doing a traditional rendition, I think Puccini just wanted him at the opening of the opera to sort of draw people in to the space, to draw them into the church with a character that sort of is always talking to himself and mumbling to himself, but at the same time is sort of relaying every man's thoughts about work and what he has to do. And, you know, it's it's a constant struggle to, to take care of things and make sure everything is just so. And, you know, it he's sort of a guy that he's, he's not happy unless he's miserable. Uh, <laughs> so I know a few people like that, so I think uh, it relates to the audience very well. And for the opera to almost start, except for the entrance of Angelotti with him, I think it welcomes people into the drama, and it makes them relax before they get into this, you know, heavy, heavy dramatic opera that's uh, extremely thrilling, but at the same time extremely dangerous. So. It just it's it's something I think Puccini did very well in in just sort of leading people into the show and bringing them in and 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 uh, one of the big things I enjoy doing as an artist is is obviously entertaining them, but I think mm-hmm. the, the entertainment comes through that communication mm. with the audience, mm-hmm. and I think once you do that. They're at ease and they're interested and, and they want to know what's what's going to happen next. Right. What's his relationship to Cavaradossi? Well, uh, I mean, obviously the sacristan is employed uh, by the Church of Rome, which basically are the, uh, the royalists or, so to speak, the hierarchy of the society. 
so he represents that, and at the same time, Cavaradossi, the painter, is more represented by the the thought of the Voltarians, which basically it's their whole thought process is is freedom of mind and um, was really the epoch of uh, education and enlightenment of the people, which to a great extent the church and uh, inquisition tried to squash. So, so we have that sort of head-to-head philosophy going on between the sacristan and uh, Cavaradossi. But even though it can be very, very confrontational mm-hmm. uh, between the two sides, as we've seen in our political landscape here <laughs> in, the, in the last few uh, months, mm-hmm. um, I always felt that there they're just sort of needling each other. It was never a, a vicious sort of relationship, but it was it was more like two guys just constantly uh, going after each other and, and laying laying out little daggers whenever they could, you know, right. uh, just to to bolster their point of views. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's a, a relationship that's nasty, but at the same time, it's it's got that underlying confrontation to it. So. And of course, he like uh, all support staff. He knows he knows everything that that happens in that building, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he's fully aware of what's going on. And if anything is just slightly out of place, he knows exactly where and why and how and who. So um, it's his house. <laughs> mm. And then uh, in a few months' time, uh, we see you in The Merry Widow. And it's been a long time since Lyric Opera has uh, staged this work, and uh, it's a very welcome return. It's really a charming piece, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a different beast because it's an operetta, in fact, which, which you know, marries the music to spoken dialogue. So uh, something I've, I've only enjoyed once before myself, uh, having done it in Houston, and just had an absolute ball doing it. I, I mean, it's just such a wonderful romp. And uh, again, uh, Baron Zait is, is one of those characters where he's sort of, there's not a lot of music to the role, but he's constantly in, in, every, in almost every scene yes. uh, driving the drama of the, uh, the evening. So it's, it's, it's such a fun thing to do. And I... I I enjoyed it immensely in the one time that I've done it, and I'm really looking forward to doing it again. <laughs> I had the experience of singing Baron Zeta during my college years, and I remember having some trouble developing the character until my coach finally said, Mark, you're overthinking this. Just think Kramer from Seinfeld, and you'll be there. Well, it worked for me back then, but I wonder, do you think that Kramer is a fair character sketch for the Baron? Well, uh, certainly aspects of it, but but again, you know, it's funny that your coach said that because, again, we're referring back to our exposure to TV, and if, if there's mm-hmm. certain characters or certain things you remember from that exposure that you can use on stage, we use it. Mm-hmm. So, for me, uh, Zeta... You know, he comes from this fictional place of Petrovania, and he's the ambassador of that country in Paris. So I've always found that if I try to invent a certain dialect that that doesn't exist or an an accent 
through his whole being, then then the character just flows. So for me, uh, really, I, I, I've prepared it this way, and I hope the director will enjoy it and say, go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they don't, and then you have to sort of regroup. But for me, it's sort of that whole Moldavia, Slovenia, Petrovania, with just a hint of Transylvania uh, in, in, in his uh, speech. And it's, it, I mean, there's a wealth of, of uh, stuff you can do just trying to speak that way, you know, with a heavy, heavy accent. Uh, it, it's, I've enjoyed preparing it, and, and I hope the audiences will enjoy it and, and get it. <laughs> the uh, and, and and at the core of uh, Zeta, there really is. He's a good guy, isn't he? Yes, yes. I think he has to be likable, uh, even though uh, to the extent that he's basically clueless and and has trouble dealing with people and society, and he always seems to be over the top and overreaching and over trying, which probably is why he got the position. He. <laughs> He has so he, he's he's totally clueless, but at the same time he has to be likable, you know. So uh, I think again, audiences will relate to that type of character, having probably met some uh, in their daily routine. So <laughs> again, I think if you can relate, you know, uh, what people experience in life on stage, then then there's a, a an instant rapport. Yeah. So I. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. That's great. <laughs> now, uh, you've done uh, 22, soon to be 23 roles uh, here in Chicago. I take it you've gotten to know the city reasonably well during oh, that yeah. time. Oh, yeah. It's such a great town. I have such a wonderful time here in Chicago whenever I come. And uh, it's so, uh, you know, for a big, giant city, it's very accessible. Uh, uh, you can get you can get pretty much anywhere you want to go and and do everything you want to do. Um, you know, it's 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 a great town, and I I've enjoyed it so much. There's just so much to offer. Hmm. Um, you shouldn't be bored here. If you are, you're something's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, what are some must haves uh, when when you're here? Well, I mean, for me, uh, I love the outdoors, so I I try to play as much golf as I can when when the weather is cooperative. Uh, Certainly, the restaurants are world class, mm. uh, and judging from my physique, you can see that the proof's in the pudding. And i i like I like to go to a lot of the uh, jazz and uh, blues clubs as mm. well, which i I love. I'm not just a one music kind of guy. I love all music, and uh, you know, really started listening to pop music way before I ever. St- got serious with the classical stuff so sure um just yeah those three aspects and just you know just being able to walk around and 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 uh just feel that the city is is just so accessible on mm-hmm. foot downtown and the near north and and you know you can certainly hop on the l and pretty much get anywhere you want to go but i always try to have my car here as well which sort of extends my realm of possibilities right um Gets you to a few other golf courses. Yeah, exactly. Out into the woods if if you care to. Yeah, exactly. A couple weeks ago, I drove up to Wisconsin to do a little fly fishing, you know, Mm -hmm. which was... Was great. So I mean, there's 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 so much in the area to enjoy and, and do, and uh, I love coming here. 
Outstanding. Well, uh, we love having you. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Have a terrific opening night and uh, continued success and good health to you, sir. Thanks. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. 